Uh, in fact, so let's just should we just go? Let's just go. Let's just fucking do, it. do it. Let's fucking do it. Hello and welcome to Culture Sex Relationships with me, Justin Hancock. I'm delighted to be joined in person by my uh, good friend, uh, favourite sex writer of the show, uh, Girl on the Net. Hello. I'm so delighted to be here and very excited to nerd out about sex. Yeah, I'm so excited about it. And uh, it's uh, nice to do things in person. Oh, isn't it? I'm not fretting about whether the online connection's going to... You know, you're not going to buffer at any point. No, and I've been given a delicious cup of coffee, which yep. doesn't happen when we do stuff over Zoom, you know. No, exactly. I really felt that it that really had those elements of chocolate, orange and caramel. It did, yeah. That was a, that was a quality yeah. coffee. Yeah, I'm so glad. So we're <laughs> caffeinated, we're, we're hyped, we're ready. And so I thought, um, dear listener, you might have heard me prattling on about assemblages and new materialism, you know, feminist new materialism. And you might have heard me talking about Deleuze and Guattari a lot, in a very kind of serious way. And I thought, well, a really good way of understanding this is is to, you know, when we're talking about assemblages and when we're talking about post-humanism, we're talking about how the bodies are in relation to something else, that our our bodies themselves don't exist in the kind of, uh, in this kind of uh, liberal kind of, uh, neatly boundaried way that our cells are an effective flow or a rhizome as we talked about in the episode with Tina Sicker when we talked about sex, consent and justice and I thought, right this is a bit like the erotic writing of someone I know and love Girl on the Net so I thought, invite them along and that's what we'll talk about and I sent this paper about assemblages to Girl on the Net and she was like nodding along and very excited about it. Yes, I was very, I mean, I'm obviously not nearly as well read. I don't understand any of the theory or the, you know, the detail. I wouldn't know whether to call it feminist new materialism. But for me, something about the concept of assemblages, mm. um, I, when I'm writing and when I'm talking about sex writing and when I'm, talking even just to people that I am having sex with and we're talking about like what we might do I use the word tone all the time Mm. and for me I feel like assemblages and what I'm talking about when I'm trying to conjure tone um, are very similar things like for people who are new to sex writing um, so I get a lot of people who will you know pitch me guest blogs and it's their first time sex writing or they want advice about sex writing when people are new to sex writing one of the first things that they're thinking about, or one of the things that kind of comes front of mind is, how do I describe the body, this bit of the body? Like, what are the right words to use? You know, do I say cock or dick or penis or whatever? Mm -hmm. And actually, for me, I think one of the things that's far more interesting than, you know, how we describe our bodies is, what is the tone of this? Mm. And reading about assemblages, all of these extra layers of context and your relation not just to the person that you're having sex with but your relation to the sex that you've had in the past your cultural expectations of sex all of that stuff i mean yeah i'm gonna say it like i think all of that stuff is hotter Mm. than the specifics of you know which bit is getting rubbed against what or whatever 100 percent 
I guess, dear listener, I should just explain a little bit about sexual assemblages before we carry on talking. So um, there's a really great paper by uh, Pam Aldred and uh, I think I should give them their titles, Professor Pam Aldred and I think Professor Nick J. Fox, um, who uh, wrote this paper called Sexuality Assemblages. I first actually found out about this paper from Meg John's graphic guide uh, to sexuality. And... um, and so basically, the basic idea is that on one level of understanding, if we were to talk about how what happens in, for example, a kiss, then you would say what happens is that there are one set of lips and attached to a human and another set of lips attached to another human and those lips meet and we call that a kiss or we might call that a kiss. But actually in a sexuality assemblage, there's a huge amount of other things going on. So there are a set of lips attached to a human that kissing, a set of lips attached to another human, but one human might have an expectation about their relationship, previous examples of kissing, um, their social location and what it is society says about whether they should or shouldn't be doing this, uh, thoughts about whether it's private, thinking about what, it, what effect this might have on, for example, their friendship, um, their previous sex education, uh, a, a fantasy in their head about what might be going on with the other person, a certain degree of understanding what uh, what power dynamics might be on offer, might be in play, etc., etc., and the same might also be true for the other person as well. And so, all of this is this assemblage of things that these things that are assembling, and all these things are constantly in flux and moving and in play during sex. And so, this is the thing you're talking about with tone, isn't it? Is that it is like, or what, what I, the way I kind of describe it often is like vibe as well. Is that you're, so when you're descri- when in your work you're describing sex, you are not just describing one set of lips coming into contact with another, another set of lips. No, although I, now that we're talking about it, I'm like, actually, maybe there would be a really interesting story in just pure physical descriptions. But even, when you're, even if you were to do that, so I'm like, oh, could I write something that was just pure mm. physicality? I'm still already wanting to layer extra tone on it. So I'm like, okay, well, you're, you're essentially going to say this is a an artificial intelligence who's been put in a body that looks human and this is how they're computing sex. So even with just a pure physical description, I want to immediately layer in all of those extra bits and pieces. Um, there's a really interesting, interesting, a very funny article from many, many years back on a website called The Toast which was just an alien describes in horrified detail the way that humans copulate. Right. And it is just, it's very, very physical description. I mean, that is horrifying, isn't it? I remember (laughs) when I first heard that at primary school, I was like, the what now? Yeah. When my (laughs) mum told me how babies were made, I have have two siblings. So when my mum told me how babies were made, I was like, Oh, you did that three times. How did you do it three times? You must have really wanted babies. But there, I guess, you know, it makes a lot of sense because children learning about procreation for the first time don't have really any contexts and anything. Right. Know. So that's a really good example, actually, isn't it? Because they're so what might go in, in, in a child's head is that because their bodies are only in relation to... Uh, like, I guess, non-sexual bodies, the idea of putting a thing inside somebody else's body sounds a bit grim or disgusting. Like somebody putting their finger in your mouth, for example. Yeah. Or, sound, or is just invasive and not sexual at all because young people's understanding of sexuality is very, very different to 
and adults' understanding. So their relationship, their their body's relation to are very, very different from an adult. So that's why a young person would think about that act, like as we did, think, think about this as being strange and maybe painful or, or invasive or weird. Yeah. But for an adult, it's completely different just because we have a completely different set of, well, as you call it, tones and... And, and vibe, and vibe, I think, is a great word as well. Like, mm. there is that... I think when you, when you start... Well, I, so I found when I first started writing about sex long, long ago. I started my blog in 2011. I remember. Oh, you were one of my first, one of my first readers, I think. Yeah, yeah I was there. I was, um, just to quote, you know, well, see these sound systems losing my edge. I was there. I was back in 2011 <laughs> when Girl on the Net produced her first blog. <laughs> and it was very, I think my blog was very, it was like, here are the most um, unusual sex stories that I can tell. Here mm. are my like, greatest hits if you like so this one time I went to a sex cinema and you know loads of men touched me up or I um, that story yeah that was a very popular one at the time yeah. like the the ones that you know the ones that I told first were me going here are the here are the most extreme most extreme is not the right word but you know here are the things that are more unusual that most people won't have experienced and I want to have a little brag about and it was very kind of not factual, I mean obviously it was factual, it was true, but I think what I was trying to do was get the tone and intensity and capture the tone and intensity of stuff. I feel like what I write about now, I haven't been to a sex cinema for a very long time because it got shut down, which is very unfair. Yeah. Um, but like nowadays I'm doing that by layering in um, the way that I felt or things that the other person said or things that I knew, things that I now know about the tone, I'm writing in a lot more backstory rather than just being like, I went here and there were five men and one of them touched my boobs. It was probably a slightly better blog post than that. I think it but... was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it was very... I know what you mean though, yeah. Yeah, like I think the more, the more I write, the more I realise that I'm not... I'm not actually just, I'm not trying to get the reader to picture in their mind, here is a penis and this is where it went mm. and, you know, it was this big and looks like this. What I'm trying to do is get them to feel things. Yeah. And those feelings don't come from physical description. I rarely use physical descriptions unless they're extremely relevant to the story. Mm. So um, there's one story about uh, a woman that I used to uh, shag with an ex-boyfriend of mine. Um, she was brilliant and wonderful, and one of the hot things about her was she was quite big, and she always wore clothes that were slightly too tight. Mm -hmm. It was a little bit like bondage. It was extremely hot. Right. And we used to make out a lot, and like touching her was great. Um, and so I would maybe mention, you know, her, I'd slightly describe her physically in order to get that image yeah. and get that tone because what was hot was her body in relation to like the way that she dressed it the yeah. way I then undressed her um, and it had relevance whereas in most stories I would probably wouldn't tell people if someone was like you know tall short fat thin because it's not even that it's not relevant it's like it, it can actually get in the way of yeah the reader's relation to that story and whether they want to put themselves in the story or put someone that they fancy in the story. I don't want to kind of 
you know, step in the middle of that and go, actually, this person was blonde and six foot tall and, right. you know, their penis was like this. Right, so that it, so so it stops so it prevents the reader from becoming really immersed in the in the story. But by and and so and also by having those by having these like part objects of characters in the story, it it means that the viewer can't possibly so it shuts down the possibility for the reader to actually be in the story themselves or to to maybe experience some of that hotness for themselves as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think it's um it's something that a lot of people have mentioned to me in relation to audio porn specifically. Yeah. So I turn lots of my stories into audio porn mm-hmm. so that um people who use screen readers can listen to it and it doesn't have to be read aloud in the robot voice. Um and one of the things people tell me a lot about audio porn um usually women, although I don't think this is exclusively, you know, limited mm-hmm. to women. But um one of the reasons why audio porn is often popular is people who are used to mainstream porn and the way that it portrays, you know, this is the right kind of body to have. You sure. must be slim, white, cisgender, blah, blah, blah. Um, f- actually find that extremely off-putting. Whereas something like audio porn, you, you don't have that in the way. All of that cultural context that's telling you your body doesn't look right, you know, you're... I don't know, whatever, too fat or too tall or too short or whatever. Um, You don't have that. And so I think I don't want, when I'm writing erotic text, which will then turn into audio, I don't want to put any of that stuff in. And I find it quite jarring when I read other people's work where they do include a lot of physical descriptions. Mm. It is often cisgender men who are writing erotica for the first time will spend a lot of time telling you, A, how big the penis was mm-hmm. of the person who is penetrating, and B, how tiny the person on the receiving end of penetration is. I find that quite off-putting, mm-hmm. because I sort of think, let me decide. You tell me what they're doing and how they're doing it and why they're doing it. Right. Why is, for me, the yeah. most, the sexiest question. Like, I don't want to know that she got railed over the washing machine. I want to know why. Why and why the washing machine? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And why they happened to be near it and what they were doing before. Yes. Because we all have washing machines. Yeah. Because that also makes it gives it the possibility of it being uh uh sexier as well. So um so let's so let's say I mean you so um You've written. Uh, I mean, you're so great at, at, uh, at writing uh, sex, and writing sexy. Um, so let's. Uh, this isn't a tutorial necessarily for people who to want to be uh, a sex writer, but let's. But we. You were saying that um, you want to encourage people to think about writing in this way, and to think yes. think creatively about uh, about their sex lives, their own relationship to sex in this way so can you let's give us a few hints on how to do it like what what kinds of things should we start before we think of a scene or either something i guess it might be something that has already happened to us that we might want to write about or think about creatively or sort of fantasy or something where where do we start what's a good starting place so oh, i love i love this this is one of my favorite questions because i would just i would love for everybody 
to write something about sex at some point in their lives. And I don't mean, you know, you don't have to publish it anywhere. You don't have to share it with anyone if you don't want to. You can just do it for yourself. Um, The reason I think it's so important to start off with is just because we are not often... I mean, obviously, listeners to this podcast will be very different, but the average person in society generally is not encouraged to really think about and articulate their sexual needs Mm. in any level of detail. And articulating your sexual needs is, it's not, you know, it's not vital. Some people don't want to do it, but it's extremely fun, even if you're just doing it on your own. So I think the first thing is to pick pick something that you feel really, really strongly about. And it might be this one time that you had the absolute best sex of your life mm-hmm. and you think about it all the time and you masturbate over it frequently or it might be a fantasy that just recurs to you and, mm. <clears throat> you know, there's maybe one fantasy that just keeps popping back into your head when you're on a bus and you're bored or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it might just be something really simple like, um, I remember one of my very first kisses being the first moment when I felt physical arousal. Yeah. When, not rather than just have this, you know, thing in my mind going, oh, a boy kissed me and therefore I'm desirable first time my body went oh yeah yeah great um so pick a pick a something whether it's a memory or a fantasy and write down write it write about what is it what write about what happened write whatever you think about it Mm -hmm. write your words and then go back through it and at every stage ask yourself Two things. The first thing is why, mm-hmm. as we talked about before. So if this made you aroused, you know, you got an erection or you felt wet, why? Ask yourself why. Explain why. Tell the story of why. And add in those extra layers. So if you're writing about sex for the first time, you might find that what you've essentially what you've got when you write this experience or fantasy is a list of what happened like you know a nice simple you know this person's lips met mine and Mm -hmm. then we did this and then I felt this whatever add in the extra layers of why and give yourself time to just reflect on how much more full that makes the story Mm -hmm. it's a bit like adding you know you've got this probably a shit analogy (laughs) it's a bit like you know you've got a a dish that you're cooking Mm -hmm. and you're throwing in the flavour and the spices and I feel like adding in the why is really important. Different depths of flavour. No, that's a really good analogy. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other question I would say to ask yourself as you're going through it is go through each one of your senses. So sight, taste, touch, sound, smell. Mm -hmm. Some of them will appeal more to some people than others. Mm -hmm. Like some people are more visual, some people are more sound focused. Um, I wrote a blog post a while ago, basically kind of encouraging people to do exactly this and write Mm -hmm. about their sexual experiences. Um, And the example I used was spanking. If you say to, you know, a partner, I would like to be spanked, please. Mm -hmm. That is, it's a useful piece of info. And it's great. And if you've never been able to articulate that before, then brilliant well done you for being able to articulate it but if you really want to build a tone and give someone something sort of more meaty and flavoursome that they can relate to 
ask yourself, okay, I like, I want to be spanked because touch, I love the sensation of it on my skin. Yeah. I like to be spanked gently, just enough that it stings, but not so much that, mm-hmm. you know, my bum goes red or it hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the sight of you looming over me and mm-hmm. dominating me. I like to look up and see you controlling me. I like the sound of it smacking against my skin. So do you see what I mean? Like going yeah. through all those different things. I guess the, 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 uh, the smell of the room might put you back in the room or might put you in the room. Um, like the temperature compared to of the bit being spanked compared to the bits not being spanked, I suppose, or temperature yes. of the hand. Yes, lovely. Like, yeah, I like... Um, there is something really satisfying about uh, having your knickers pulled down and thus suddenly exposed to cold air. Yeah. Um, and there'll be some people... So one of the reasons why I think it's really important to sort of... to go through these sensory questions and also the why is because for different people, there'll be radically different answers. Yeah. Like... For some people, you know, why do you like being spanked? I like feeling small and vulnerable mm-hmm. and it's almost like you're giving me a massage and you're looking after me. Mm. And for other people, it would be like, I like being in trouble. Mm-hmm. I like to feel controlled. I like to be punished. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those two tones are so such different yeah. things. And if, you know, if you want to be spanked, and you don't know how to articulate the tone, that's absolutely fine, because most, you know, most people don't. Like, I've been doing this for 11 years, and I still have conversations with partners where I'm like, I don't know, I think I just want you to put it in me. I'm not really sure right now, and it's hard (laughs) in the moment to really articulate that. Um, But going through some of this, and this is why I really, I would encourage everyone to write stuff down if they can, even if it's just for themselves, because, once you've had that practice at articulating it, then you, you know, you can kind of reach for it in the moment yeah. or when you're having a conversation with someone and go, oh, I was thinking about this recently. I love, you know, the temperature of the cold air on my bum. And yeah. that's a nice thing or whatever it might be. Well, that's really interesting because I think what that also implies is is another kind of question, which is, um, which is to say, which is another kind of assemblages question, another like new materialist question, which is, what else can the body do? So when you're when we're kind of thinking about what senses are at play in something that we've experienced or something we want to experience, thinking about it from those different perspectives gives us the opportunity to think of well, um, gets us beyond the just the the uh, the the. Uh, one set of lips kissing another set of lips it gets us to the well what else is that doing so for example i think what what a lot of people struggle with when they write to me about sex is you know for example let's say someone's saying that they're not really getting much from you know they're not not enjoying penis and vagina sex for example but they're, they're not getting a lot out of it and they're not experiencing orgasm mm. and so the focus is always on their so their problem and their focus is on the penis in the vagina and how can we make that more fun? Like more, you know, how can we, you know, there must be a position or a different way of doing this to make that, that might make this more fun. Yeah. Actually what I think might be a more useful question is to think of, well, what else is going on? Maybe it might be that you do or don't enjoy someone breathing on your neck during it or the sound that it makes 
or the smells that you might uh, smell or the feeling of somebody being on top of you or the feeling of you being on top somebody's weight being on top of you or the you know there might be there are other things at play whenever we do something so a lot of the times people might think well you know I'm experiencing uh, sexual enjoyment because this thing is touching my clitoris or this thing is giving the head of my penis exactly the stimulation it needs but it might be that the hair was brushing on your on your face or yeah. this other thing was happening and the thing you really remember is the hair brushing on your face or the the feeling of sweat dripping down onto onto your chest or something or a noise somebody was making or the bed springs making a noise or the idea that a neighbour might be listening or you know yeah so there's always something else isn't there when we ask those different kinds of questions yeah definitely and I think there's a I mean, obviously, we are always so very, very junk-focused, for yeah. want of a better phrase, that, um, you know, the, the difficult thing with this, I think, particularly for me, so I am very junk-focused as a sex haver, and I find it sometimes really hard to separate um, how much of that is the kind of sex that I want, and how much of that is my cultural context has told me this is the kind of sex that I will want. Like, I frequently, I've had lots of conversations with partners and also friends about like, yeah, I think actually my sexual desires are extremely normative. Mm. And uh, is that because I've just been taught by society to like that? Or is that what I really want? Or does it not matter? Because either way, that's what I want. Mm. But I think even... Asking that question and saying, okay, let's just accept that this is the kind of sex that I have been told that I should have. Yeah. So let's just put it on a shelf for now, this bit that is about the junk, and let's just shine a light on all the other things that are happening. Yeah. Um, and the other things that you're picking up on are all very physical in the world things like, you know, the bed springs or the neighbours mm-hmm. might hear or whatever. And I think I would add to that, because I my thing is always like, what's going on in someone's head? Yeah. It's all, you know, asking those questions about all the different rooms inside your brain as well. Like, mm-hmm. what's the power dynamic here? Mm-hmm. What is the, what do I want? How much do I fancy this person? Mm. Is there a, one of the things that I really love writing, I'm obsessed with it, it's one of my favourite like tones to write in is the idea of forbidden this yeah. this shag is forbidden and it might be forbidden because you know we're doing it in public where there might be CCTV or mm-hmm. you know we've been banned from shagging by I don't know someone else's husband or whatever it might yeah. be some sort of forbidden yeah. even within that simple context you can explode it out into loads of different tiny, tiny details. And the more you explore, I'm trying to think of an example that is more kind of common. Um, you're, let's say you're having sex with somebody for the first time, somebody new, you've had lots of sex before, but this is somebody who you fancy for ages mm-hmm. and you know you had a bit of a crush on them and then you found out that your crush was reciprocated and then you got together and this is like the first time you're going to have sex. There's a tone there, which is first time excitement. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. But let's drill down into the first time excitement and ask what else is there alongside the excitement? There's probably a, a, hint, a hint of nervousness. Mm-hmm. 
Why is there nervousness? Well, because you fancied them first and maybe there's a slight imbalance there. Maybe you think you fancy them more. Maybe they also have very similar worries that they fancied you for ages before you even knew about it. You know, all of this kind of stuff. Yeah. I just love I just love it. I think it's really fun. Yeah. And I think particularly if people are writing about their own lives and things that they have done in the past, there will I'm hoping that people listening to this, if they've got a specific get a specific example in your head as you listen to our chat mm-hmm. of like something you've done in the past. And I'm hoping that as you're listening to us have this conversation, you're asking yourself those questions of going, Oh yeah, that that was a thing actually. Yeah. And so what would have, what might have started as a very simple one paragraph, I had a crush on this person and then mm-hmm. we shagged and it was like this. Now you can explode it out into, oh, and actually this had been the case before and this had been the case before. Um, yeah, because you could, with that example, you could think, well, so thing, other things going through your head might be, um, well, I do actually really have a Christmas person, so there's a lot at stake here for the sex. So we've, So we've got a kind of, I've got to do like perform it well enough or am I going to be you know those kinds of concerns and worries um but also that kind of uh that so instead of uh of explaining the body uh explaining uh, telling the story of what the body looks like it's trying to tell a story of what it feels like to touch somebody's body for the first time and that exciting sensation of finding a bit of their body it's like I haven't touched this bit yet either and here's another new bit and again yeah. with each touch like what does what's the temperature feel like you know what uh, how does it feel to to slip, slip somebody's uh, you know to reveal a bit more nudity or to uh, to put your hand under somebody's top or something like that um, yeah. each, you can break down each individual thing and each individual thing will have its own uh, assemblage its own like rhizome of different things connected to it so it might remind you of the time you did something like this with someone else or you might think on whether they've done this with anyone else and what they might be thinking or what other people might be thinking looking at this and how might how this might how this might appear and how sex this is yeah as whether well you're going to be whether you're thinking about telling people yeah. afterwards like I think a fuck doesn't just exist in the moment that you're fucking no. It also exists in all the anticipation before it, if there's been anticipation, and afterwards in the stories that you tell about it. Yeah. All that is, you know, I think part and parcel of a of a shag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How you weave it into the story of your life. And also other things that also like to do with the non-human, like the how dark it is, uh, how comfortable the bed is, um, like the firmness. I definitely remember like firmnesses of mattresses with shags that I've had, <laughs> uh, and where and also where music has has uh, either got in the way or really helped enhance what's going on. Like yes, often yeah. I don't play, play music. I'm not sure whether I got this joke from you or not. I feel like I might have got this joke from you, but uh, you know the best music to play is a live album because then you can pretend that the applause is for you. <laughs> That is not my joke, but I'm going to steal it now. I feel like I might have stolen it from so I thought I felt sure I was stole it from you. Anyway, um, uh, but in, I, but I wouldn't recommend doing that, dear listener, because you might start laughing, and then you might start thinking about me, and then that might you know that might affect you as well. So, <laughs> listening to this podcast, listening to this conversation, might be part of your sexual assemblage as well. So, yeah. a podcast generally. So. Um, 
there's a lot there's a there's a huge amount of things at play as well as as well as the the so the bodies aren't just bodies they exist in relation to and so thinking about the different feelings and uh, the different ways that i guess that they're off they are affected by something and in that way we're talking about this affective flow so a body is so one part of the body in the way you were describing how things might like the sensations we're describing the the changes in how our bodies are affected and in that way that is a constantly moving thing all the way through sex isn't it yeah yeah and it's um it's a thing that you know if you're writing about one of your own experiences like exploring the way that that changes throughout a shag i mean i think that can make the difference between you know something that is kind of quite flat and something that is a really hot story that sort of builds and builds and builds like for example if we were talking about you know a new person earlier on mm. maybe part of what you're feeling as things go on is a kind of relief you know you're 10 minutes in and things seem to be going great and they seem to be having a great time and you're having a great time and the way that they're touching you is new and different and you'd hoped for new and different and you love the novelty and so yeah as things are going on more there's always more and more and more layers of tone being added yeah and likewise you know in experiences that didn't go well sometimes it's really hard to articulate why a shag didn't go well or why you know you have sex with someone once and then you don't want to do it again yeah but i think ex- again examining this and exploring this and really drilling down into the detail and asking yourself why can often give you quite a few more useful answers um you Big know time. you're because you're not just going well you didn't wank me off very well and therefore yeah. we're done you can actually ask yourself well why did I feel uncomfortable with that why didn't I feel comfortable telling them how I wanted to be touched mm-hmm. you know where was all of where was my communication why did I find that difficult blah 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 blah, blah. there's a really good activity about that dear listener in the book that Meg John and I wrote A Practical Guide to Sex and actually uh, if you're not a Patreon subscriber I actually did a reading of this so I did a reading of this activity so become a Patreon subscriber today at patreon.com forward slash culture sex relationships and you can hear me talking through this activity uh, which is uh, a good creative way of exploring exactly that but I'm not going to spoil it here sign up be a patron Um, so yeah that kind of um, exploring the difference I guess between it being not so good and being better is often not about the thing being done itself it's like what uh, in what way did it help me in what way did uh, what a lot of people say uh, when uh, they do that kind of do that kind of thought process is how much did I feel in my body were there any outside distractions or anything else that was or any I guess the thing with assemblages as well is to think that um, that there might be something going on in the back of our minds that might not feel sexy or might not feel quite okay in in some ways as well and that, that, so it's important that we pay attention to to all of this in order to be self-consensual and things but that but also i guess that it's okay to to have that it's okay just to kind of notice that there might be one or two things floating around in this uh, affective flow, the the, the the thing that we know as sex is this, uh, you know, is this uh, act of becoming between uh, 
is part of this kind of uh, ever-moving assemblage, it's important to pay attention that some of those things might actually get in the way, and that means also that we can sometimes take time to pause or just say, could we try something else? Or yeah, and that's so. I'm kind of talking about consent here again, dear listener. Sorry, I'm bringing us back down to a, a crushing, <laughs> crushing stop. But you know, this is why we have things like why actually taking a break for to go to the loo and taking a break to have a cup of a sip of water or something or flipping the record over is part of sex. It's all part yes. of the assemblage. And so having that as part of it is key as well, isn't it? Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. And I think as well, like, I mean, I... Like, talking about this stuff in the abstract when we're just sitting in front of a microphone, I find it very easy to sort of drill down into what might be going on and what yeah. the particular assemblage might be. Obviously, in the moment when I'm having a really sexy time with someone... I'm not always thinking about this. I mean, sometimes I am, because sometimes yeah. my brain will pop up with, oh, this is, you know, feels off or whatever. But yeah, building in those kind of little breaks, sometimes you do just realise, not even like, this is bad, but like, actually, I'm done now. This yeah. I have done the thing. I had a really amazing threesome recently with a couple a couple I don't know they wouldn't describe themselves as a couple with two hot people who are fucking okay. um, who very kindly invited me to join them and we had an amazing time and it was brilliant and it was better than my wildest dreams and there came a point where we all we had a little pause and I needed to have a cigarette and we had some water and you know we all just needed to have a little pause and downtime um, and we ate some brownies and the plan was that we were going to continue. But during that downtime, we sort of had a little bit of a chat. We had a really nice time. And I felt like things had rounded off really nicely. And I was like, actually, I'm going to go home. And I f- in the moment, I felt like that was just the weirdest thing for me to do. Because mm. it's a bit like, you know, you're at Disneyland and then go home at lunchtime because you've had enough Disneyland. But I think... I would definitely go home. I'd probably go home before <laughs> lunchtime. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what's what's the what's the equivalent of Disneyland for you? Uh, a darts, darts championship. Yeah, or watching a cycling race or something. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be like, yeah, it'd be like stopping. Yeah, turning off the Tour de France. <laughs> and it's like. Yeah, just walking away from the finish line before they. I have done that. <laughs> <laughs> Long story, but no, you so it kind of. But but did it, did it resolve? How did that resolve? But it, it resolved really well. It, I felt like. I felt like, so as I was walking home, listening to powerful music, feeling very good about myself, yeah. all of that for me was part of the experience. Like, right. being able to say, and I'm done now, I'm tired, I was shaking. One of the things I wanted to do was go and tell one of my friends about the hot time that I'd just right. had. And I wanted to power walk home while listening to triumphant songs from musical theatre. And that was just what I felt. That was what I wanted to do. Like, they offered to walk me to the train station. And I said, actually, no, I'd rather... I want to, I just want to be on my own. Because for me, part of, like, that processing time right. and being able to think about it and consider it and qu- quit while I'm ahead is not really the right way to say it. But I could stop on a peak of absolute joy and they seemed to be very happy about the whole situation. Like, you know, being able to stop at that point that came from having a good understanding of where my body tends to go, the kind of things I tend to need. Like, I, you know, we talk in kink about aftercare and the idea mm-hmm. of making sure someone comes down after a scene. 
for me, aftercare is often, I need to be on my own. I need to have time yeah. on my own. And all of that is part of, you know, the way in which I will relate to a particularly like a kind of intense scene. Right. Um, this make, this making really, this is making a lot of sense. So, you know, so this process of um, uh, thinking creatively about sex we've had or sex we might want to have in uh, it, when we're not having sex, although writing about sex could also be having is also a form of silo sex, I guess. But what it does is to give us the opportunity in, I guess, like cold light of day when we're like calmer to be able to really fully explore the everything that's going on because sex uh, can be very overwhelming. And I'm going to use a, a Lacanian term here, dear listeners, if you listen to Event Horizon, you'll be familiar with this, but the term jouissance which is that kind of overwhelm that we get from sex, which isn't always a good overwhelm. You know, a lot of people just kind of translate resources as enjoyable, but it's a kind of like a woof from, right? Yeah, it's intense. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so it really affects our level of consciousness. It uh, brings the unconscious into being often. Uh, also, our bodies are literally going through, like, so, so many very powerful chemicals being released throughout the body we're feeling these very intense sensations it's hard to make sense of that in the moment but this process this process we're talking about of thinking creatively about it might help us to kind of have a sense of understanding what's what's going on and, and, and like a feeling of well this is why it got so intense and this is why these are the things that I liked about that yeah no definitely and I think that um uh I think that's a really, the idea of knowing like where that feeling comes from in sex, like the assumption, and it's not correct, but the general societal assumption, I think would be that you get that feeling just after climax. Like yeah. that's what climax does. You climax and then that's it. Yeah. And I think one of the interest, one of the interesting things that I found writing about sex is that I very rarely do I include my own orgasm in stories. Right. People often ask me, oh, did you not come? And I'm like, oh, well, either I did and I just didn't think it was relevant to mention it, or I didn't and I didn't think it was relevant to mention it. Like, I think for me, I'm less bothered about my own orgasm. I have a big fetish for, like, jizz. So if somebody who's jizzed, I will usually write the fuck out of that. Yeah. But my own, I'm not that bothered about it. And so if... If other people are doing this exercise, one of the really interesting questions to ask yourself is like, where do you finish this experience? Like, where do you finish your story? What is the climax of your story? Because the climax of your story may well not be the climax, you know, your own climax or your partner's climax. Like, what is the thing that you are building up to? Because often, and I do this a lot, and I, I love guest blogs that do this, people aren't often they're not building up to like then the sex ended and fireworks mm. and the earth moved they're building up to they want to make a point about this particular thing being being especially sexy or yeah. you know this particular scenario um so maybe an interesting exercise for listeners is if you're writing up you're writing up a story just for you mm-hmm. about something you find really sexy how would you edit that story if you thought you had a reader, if you were going to share it with your partner. Right. Would you make changes to that story? Would you write in a climax? Or would you 
temper certain aspects of it? Would you add in extra details that, for instance, about you know sound or visuals mm-hmm. that didn't matter to you, but you think might matter to someone else? Because mm-hmm. I think all of that again teaches you something about you know which bits you know yeah. which bits of these relationships are actually important to you. Mm-hmm which bits you think are important to other people. And then when you're talking to other people, you can actually ask them, be like, oh, I've always assumed that for you, visuals are important or, you know, spunking is important or whatever. Yeah. And are they, you know? No. Necessarily. No, that's really so. good because then yeah, it means that you're exploring the indeterminacy of sex. Like people think that there are, because of our bad and normative sex education, people think that if you insert slot A into tab B this will happen and it was the inserting of the slot A into tab B that made the thing happen Yeah. rather than actually there was a completely other thing that no one knew about that was happening that made that thing particularly hot that day they might have been thinking about something else a particular memory came to them there was another sensation going on and so what it does is to exploring it in this uh, really like close up like molecular way allows for things that we have made very uh sorry i'm using uh i'm using delosing terms again so we make things very molar we make things very fixed but actually by going into the much drilling down as you were saying into the these minute molecular details we can actually see that things are moving all of the time and so the things that we thought were going on actually if we check out with a partner or write a story about it we might find out you know, their version of events was, no, there's something completely different going on. Um, yeah. And so that kind of comes to this idea of that, again, me and Meg John talked about in our book is, you know, the possibility of even if you've had sex with the same person for, you know, many times, the possibility of seeing every time you have sex with them as being like the first time. Yes. So that there is always a newness and something else going on because that, that just is. I mean... You know, was it Heraclitus who said you can't jump in the same river twice? Yes. Right? So it's the same, that same thing, isn't it? Because everything is constantly moving. Oh, yeah, 100%. And it's, yeah, it, everything's constantly moving. Like, you know, even with somebody that you might have been having sex with for years and years and years, there will always be new contexts that you don't understand. Like, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, like, nerdy sex-related conversations, like with people that I'm sleeping with and one of the things that I I just I I love it and I love that it still happens you know even with people that I've known for a really long time it's like if you keep asking why I mean not all the time obviously because that gets a bit annoying but if they're up for having that kind of conversation you can sometimes learn stuff about someone who you've known for years and years and years that you just never thought to ask my favorite example of this it's like just before so um my ex i was with him for like 10 years basically um and one of our favorite positions was face down ass up so like me with my face planted in the bed mm-hmm. my ass up and then he would bang me and um very normative um but so right towards the end of our time together i'm gonna say on like maybe our third or fourth to last shag I said something about, oh, I know you love watching it go in in that position. And he was like, do you know, I've always said that that's why I like it. But actually, there's another aspect to it that I don't think I've ever really articulated. Right. And that's, I like 
that your bum is kind of cold and soft and when my hips meet it there's a kind of like cold softness to it and I was like fucking hell there you go 10 years and I didn't know because it's just it wasn't something that he'd ever thought it wasn't the headline like the headline sure. was you know watch it go in or it goes in deep or whatever yeah but when you really drill down and explore it like there's all there's always loads of extra little bits that people are thinking or yeah that's well going that's on. the thing we kind of we can criticize ourselves about about the normative scripts that we have that you know that you know that we all have because we all we're all in the same culture we're all have the same sex education basically um so we'll have that but also we can create our own normative scripts and so and then the script for the sex that we're having even if it's not normative can be normative in this kind of individual way because rather oh so like this is the script the two of us have yeah yeah Yeah, i mean i think we do that all of the time because we all yeah as individuals as well that it's easy to kind of focus on well this is the thing you know, this the whole thing of like, just generally speaking, this thing of like self-knowledge, you know, this is who I am and, and this is what I am, mm. I think is completely false because, uh, you know, our, our cells are uh, constantly moving, changing, learning, growing in affective flow. And the same goes for sex. But it's very easy to write these, our own kind of stories for what is what always works because we always want to make sex work for the other person and to be and to kind of to do the thing that we know you know we know our partner always loves and do it in this particular way and that might be true but it might also equally not be true or it might be something else entirely yeah does that make sense no so there was so there was like having that freshness available having that idea of what else is going on what are the other sensations involved the other things happening in the assemblage can make also just for a more interesting sex life oh yeah attitude and relationship to sex yeah no a hundred percent and i think i'd i feel like i i would i would use the analogy of like you sex is a sex is a story that you're telling together yeah it's like it's improv you're yeah. yes and and you're giving and accepting and mm-hmm. you know sharing this stuff together and yeah the when once you accept that you know that is what you're doing it's always going to be changing there isn't a kind of set way for things to be then I think it could kind of help us cast off a lot of our a lot of the bollocks like oh is this person good in bed or bad in bed well right I mean yeah, it's, it's nonsense, isn't it? It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, you're bad, you're bad in bed if you're not willing to co-create in that way, right? Yeah. So if you're somebody who's always going to do the same thing to the other rather than engaging with the other and and get and trying to establish a a flow between you, then you prob- that then I would say that's probably if you're if you're in being inattentive to the other and actually being more attentive to your own story of what you know works and the things that you know you're good at, then that probably isn't very good. But the whole, if you're willing to co-create something like a conversation yeah. uh, and to allow it to build, then that probably is the key to like being good at sex, I guess as well, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, re- I'm reluctant. I hate the phrase good at sex. I think that's why. But I, but yes, that's I, yeah, yeah. I'm, I think that yeah. that level of kind of yeah, you're writing something together, and you know, you're 
you're doing something together. It's never about what you do as an individual. Yeah. It's about what you're doing together and being exactly. able to acknowledge that. Um, just like a conversation. Like, just, you know, like like this conversation or the conversation we'll have in a bit when we go to the pub. You yeah. Know? Like, I'm not going to tell all my old stories over and over again. And even if I do, they might be slightly different because I've embellished <laughs> it or it's got better over time or worse or I've forgotten key bits, which is actually usually more likely. <laughs> or I'm a bit, a bit drunk, so I've forgotten of the really important piece of information. Well, the thing I often say, which is, uh, I've not remembered enough of this for it to be a good, for it to be a good story. So I'm just going to bail out. <laughs> but you know, but the the you know, any kind of time we're spending with someone should be this idea of it. Like, well, let's see what's going to happen between us and what we're bringing and where it might go. Yeah. And then afterwards, we can make we can try to make sense of it. And so this is why I think it's just good to think creatively about this afterwards before during as well, in order to make try and make some kind of sense of what often can be quite overwhelming and things that make absolutely no sense. Yeah. It might be quite important learning. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. And to kind of, I feel like I want to sort of bring it back round to the the exercise of getting people to write about an experience. Yeah. I think like once you've done that with one thing, you know, you don't have to show it to anyone. That is you creating on your own and you can write on your own. But once you've done that and asked yourself all of those questions and drilled down into all the detail... Mm. Each of those little details, the extra layers of tone and relation and, you know, understanding that you have about what you like, that's a new avenue of creativity to explore with a partner. Like, here is a thing that I've discovered from writing about my desires. I find this interesting. And, you know, then you kind of invite them to walk along that creative avenue with you completely and then that thing becomes the thing that you wrote then becomes part of your assemblage as well so you're just building in more things and also you know reading like and this is the thing that i think people get from reading your work and certainly what i get from reading your work because of the way that you write people can be in those scenes and can feel that that um that that might that, that their experience of being in the scenes that you write or being having a sexual relationship in those scenes that you're having being having their bodies in relation to your work means people aren't having sex with you but you're part of people's sexual assemblages oh god yeah i Uh, hope so yeah and so (laughs) and so and then so think of this kind of huge assemblage and it's all moving around and it's all there are these tremendous possibilities so if ever anyone's feeling stuck around sex or feeling um, feeling like uh, it's not really working for them, but I think this is just such a valuable way of kind of unlocking it and uh, and um, trying to have like a, a greater understanding of our like subjectivity, sexual selves, our sexual subjectivities by by doing these kind of creative uh, tasks. I think is yeah really valuable. Well, we've been chatting for like you know it doesn't feel like this long, fifty four minutes. Wow. Is there anything else you want to like chat about? Anything else we haven't covered? I can't remember. What did we? I can't. I'm trying to think of things we said at the beginning. I think we've covered a lot. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Obviously I guess we did it even better before we started recording while <laughs> we were having our coffee. Uh, right. Well. Okay. So th- let's promote you. Oh yeah, you should come and read my work, listen to my audio porn, girlonthenet.com, uh, or girlonthenet.com slash audio porn if you want to go straight to the read aloud stuff um if you want to support the audio porn project i also have a patreon mm-hmm. patreon.com slash girl on the net where you will get 
early access to audio, you can remove all the on-site ads and you also get to hear a quiz I did with my parents where I asked them loads of questions about sex things and saw if how much they knew about sploshing and various other kinks and it was it was quite fun we got damn i am a patron of your of uh, i am one of your patrons and i completely missed this so i'm gonna have to go back and find that that sounds great i'll send you a link it was great you know, they were so game for it they were they were genuinely not very good at the answers so i had to sort of give them some clues but they they loved it they had a great time right. so now every time i see them they'll you know remind me that they know what sploshing is um, yeah, no, nice. it was good. It was great fun. Nice. Well, thank you, Girl on the Net, so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. And thank you so much for listening, dear listener. Until next time. Bye. Bye.